Welcome to The Barbell Strikes Back. I'm your host, James McDermott, and Jacob Hawkins of the History of Strength Sports website and Instagram page is my guest today on the show. He's coming in all the way from down under in Australia. This has been a podcast in the making of several months, and I'm super excited to get Jacob on the podcast. Jacob, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me on. I know we uh, originally planned to do this a few months ago, so thanks for your patience and uh, yeah, dialing me back in in the new year. Yeah. Now you recently moved to Australia, just uh, looking to to get some good Australia weather. You know, you got uh, uh, training to do down there. What brings you to Australia? <laughs> yeah, good question. It was kind of a, a year in the making, really. So um, me and my partner had been talking about it for a few years. Um, and the opportunity came up via my partner's work for us to get a visa and, and jump over here. So we landed mid-November, I think it was. Um, had to do the uh, hotel quarantine for two weeks. So we were literally locked in a hotel room. They put a table behind the door. They gave us food three times a day. And that was us for two weeks. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a, you know, my partner had work down here. It was a shot in the dark for me. We, we rented out our house. I sold my car, quit my job. Um, and then we're here and I've yeah managed to pick up sort of where I left back in the UK. Um, I'm just trying to live the, uh, live the Australia dream. The, the weather's great. We're sort of um, out of COVID for the most part here. Um, and it's just a completely, it's paradise. It's just a completely different lifestyle. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. I'm so grateful for them to, for letting us in and letting us be here. And uh, yeah, it's brilliant. That's, that's so cool. You know, I've always wanted my entire life to go to Australia. When I was younger, I had a book on Australia. I would read all about it. I, I'd always, for whatever reason, you know, you get that question in school, where would you like to travel to in the world? And my finger always went on the globe to Australia. So maybe I'll be able to get down there someday. Uh, although I, I have seen there are some pretty hefty looking spiders that tend to roam around. Are you in one of those areas that has these spiders that the household spider is the size of your iPhone. Yeah, so I, I don't think there's any areas in Australia where you can get away from them, really. You know, oh my god, on the land with the spiders and things, and then in the sea with the sharks. But um, yeah, we've seen a few pretty big, you know, hand-sized spiders just just chilling out. And we had a uh, me and my partner went for a walk last night. I had an encounter with a kangaroo um, that was taller than me I'm about five foot ten um and he was taller than me and you know stood up on his hind legs right in the middle of the path and we thought he was gonna gonna go for us anyway we ended up going the other way to get away from him Holy um cow. yeah they're, they're quite protective and they're they're huge and they have been known to attack people so uh yeah I know so this is like that. a six foot kangaroo I had no idea they were that big yeah so when they're they're, they're such a strange animal they're kind of they look a little bit like a dog cross with a rabbit cross with a deer um, and they kind of hunch over when they're you know eating into grass and things but when they stand up on the hind legs and they do this thing where they sort of pose and they you know stick their their arms out and things and just try and intimidate you and it's uh, yeah they're, they're quite they're huge <laughs> it's funny it's the it's probably the one animal maybe other than human beings that do the uh, come at me bro you know pose Yep, yep, it's real and it's uh, yeah, it's intimidating. <laughs> what do they tell you to do if a kangaroo is coming after you? Like, is there you just run? I don't think yeah, you get away well, from it. Yeah, I don't think we've uh, it wasn't in the brochure, definitely how to deal with that. So, um, yeah, I just picked up a stick and just started banging it, but he just kept coming towards us. Um, so we just went the other way and eventually he hopped off. But, um, when they bounce, they don't just sort of bounce, you know, they're bouncing two, three meters at a time because they're that big. Um, they're such a, such a strange animal. Wow. Well, 
I'm 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 on board. I mean, if I ever go to Australia, I guess you got to just take it all in, and it's all part of the experience. Uh, maybe I wouldn't want to get that close, but I'll I'll take a look at some kangaroos <laughs> from afar, and I'll skip the spiders. <laughs> yeah, especially absolutely. if they're hand sized. Yeah, I, I think I think I would live every day just stressed, you know, with the thought that that's going on. Cause I already like when the weather gets good and we have the windows open, you know, I do a little periphery scan, you know, like in the bedroom before I go to bed, check the walls, I check under the pillow, you know, just cause they, they're all around the house, you know, they're all around here. So I can't imagine just looking in the corner and seeing one the size of my hand. I don't think I, I don't, I, th I think I'm having to move out of country at that point. <laughs> I don't think there's anything that could salvage my home at that point for me mentally. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, it's rough, but we're keeping our eyes open. Definitely, sleep with one eye open. Now, uh, Jacob, uh, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Why did you start the history of strength sports? Uh, what brings you? You know, like like like, are, do you have a strength sport background? What is your specific strength sport? Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I'm going to try not to rumble too much, so feel free to cut me off, but it's kind of a, a whole story. So, yeah, I'm Jacob. Um, I'm 28, uh, originally from the UK, as you said. Um, my my background in sports really comes from martial arts. Um, so I actually did karate for about 17 years, up until the age of about 22. Um, competed to quite a high level, coached as well, and did some judo and taekwondo at the same time as well. And that was really where it started. So that, that's where my interest in sports, you know, physical activity, health, strength training, all that thing uh, kind of started. Um, so that kind of brought me to, you know, the end of high school. I, was, I had a huge interest in history, as well as you've probably guessed from the page. Um, but then this, this kind of side interest in sports as well. So it kind of came to the decision, do I go ahead and, you know, study history or sports and exercise science at university um anyway i ended up going down the, the sport and exercise science route. got my bachelor's degree in sport and exercise science ended up doing a master's degree in strength and conditioning um but still didn't necessarily know much about strength sports it was more the kind of i've always been interested in how training can affect the body and improve results in what you're doing and that's kind of led everything everything i've done really um so it was probably in during my master's degree where we were required to learn you know the olympic lifts so that we could coach them to people um i obviously started doing quite a lot of reading for myself and stumbled upon forums like t nation elite fds um jim wendler mark bell that kind of thing um and that led me into into sort of powerlifting. um i'd always lifted i was one of those you know like we all start in my bedroom with the york weights filled with concrete um which seems to be quite a familiar story to, to many people um I had yeah, one but I was, yeah classic i think i had um 55 kilos was was total and i thought you know maxing out in my bedroom with that when i was 15 <laughs> um yeah so that's where it, it sort of really began um yeah training for about 10 years i think in the past four or five years uh, my attention's gone a little bit more into powerlifting. it just sort of seems to fit with um my personality um i know like you said you're a little bit of an intro introvert i've heard you say that on a few um podcasts so i kind of started on all the machines and then sort of gradually made my way into the the powerlifting. um so yeah i've been focused on that for probably four or five years now um i have competed so i think i can call myself a powerlifter because i know that's the condition that some powerlifters put in place you're not allowed to call yourself powerlifter until you've competed um and yeah that's been that's been me really it's it's kind of tied in nicely to my career as well so coming from a 
sport and exercise science, strength conditioning, um, sort of education. I went straight into personal training, did some uh, SNC coaching as well. Um, had a couple of years working with people with health conditions, doing cancer rehabilitation, all that kind of stuff. Um, ended up as a gym manager, then started running what we call a leisure center in the UK with a swimming pool, um, sports complex, all this kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, then a couple of years ago, diverted my career completely. And I can go into that a little bit as well, if you'd like, but that's the kind of interest in strength sports. Yeah. So your, um, is history of strength sports, just kind of like a side passion and mainly you're a coach. Yeah. So I actually ducked out of the fitness industry about two years ago. Um, I was working, um, as a leisure center manager, like I said, and I just, that's what I thought I should be doing I thought that's where my career was always leading I thought yeah you've you know if you're in this industry long enough you've got to become a manager it'll all be great when I'm a manager um but I turned out to just be a health and safety person you know doing all the admin and paperwork so um I diverted my career and started working in the non-profit sector which I still do um so I help disabled people into employment which is my my main job um so the page started in March of 2020 so I was doing my nine to five usual job. I was training people, which I've always done four nights a week. Um, I was also qualified to teach and assess um, personal training qualifications. So I was also doing that at the weekend. Um, so I had a pretty busy schedule. Um, so when everything locked down in the UK in, in March, um, my own training, all of my uh, personal training stuff, the teaching stuff at the weekend just all stopped. So suddenly I was working just my nine to five job. I was working from home. And I literally sat down one day and I just thought, I, I need a hobby. I need something to keep me occupied, something to keep me busy. Because um, I'm quite um, quite a busy person. I, I like to be doing lots of things. Um, so I sat down and thought, you know, now that's the time to sort of address what I actually am interested in and spend some time focusing on that. So I kind of racked my brains. And I thought, what about, you know, strength history? It's always been a big interest of mine with the interest in, in history and, and obviously strength sports. Um, so then I just started, you know, Googling strength history and, and getting into it a little bit. Um, the actual original basis for the page, I was going to use it as a vehicle to collect and possibly sell on strength sports memorabilia. I thought that's what my new hobby was going to be. Um, I was going to, you know, get all this cool stuff, um, you know, like the stuff you've got behind you. Um, sort of get my hands on it, talk about it a little bit and then, and then move it on. Um, and I did do that to an extent um, a little bit, but then I started you know, just doing the page and the post and talking about the strength history, researching and writing. And I actually found about a weekend that that was the actual hobby of, um, you know, reading about all this cool stuff and, and talking to people about it. The facts um, and the research. Yeah. So that kind of took over and, I, and the memorabilia stuff took a complete sideline and just thought, no, actually, this is what I'm going to spend my, my spare time doing. And it's, um, yeah, it's been a really, really fun project. And I've, you know, like yourself, had some really cool conversations with people about it. And uh, it's been a learning curve for myself because I'm not a, um, you know, I'm 28 myself. I'm, I wasn't there for a lot of the, the strength history. You know, a lot of people who are talking about this stuff, um, you know, were there in the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, seeing the sports develop. Um, so it's taken a little bit more effort on my part. But um, yeah, it's been such a, such a fun project and it's kind of developed as, as time goes on. And we've got some really cool stuff coming up in the, uh, in the pipeline for this year. Um, yeah having a great time doing it no it's i mean i i've been enjoying it you know watching a lot you know all the posts and reading them and learning all these facts and it's kind of cool we we essentially have the same story so to say with uh you know the barbell strikes back podcast started in april of 2020 yes yeah, I, 
of, of all the litany of reasons, which I have like a, a laundry list of reasons on why I started this podcast. Another one was like, I need like a hobby. And it's funny how my hobby is also rooted in my profession. So it's like, it's, um, I guess it's good to have it be that way. That way, you know, my attention doesn't get too taken too far away from developing as a coach and developing athletes, but it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a hobby right now and who knows where it'll go, but it's kind of cool that I didn't realize it was that early for you. Uh, just like me, uh, March, 2020 yeah. and pretty yeah. much because of the shutdowns. Yeah. I mean, obviously COVID's been, been awful and there's some, you know, just horrible stuff that's, that's gone on and it's still ongoing, but I think, you know, the few positives that we can take away are, you know, the time that we've had, you know, the time at home with families and the time to, you know, pay attention to ourselves and think about what, what we'd like to do. Um, and yeah, it's, for me, it was, uh, you know, it's brought this about, um, which I'm not sure I would have had time for, or, um, even thought about doing had it not been for the, for the lockdown in the UK. So yeah, there's positives out of the, out of the horror really. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Same, same for me. Now, I want to backpedal a little bit. So you've competed in, in martial arts and you've competed in powerlifting. Yeah. Did competing in a combat sport where you're fighting another person, were you able to channel something else or differently than you think other competitors do in a, sp a strength sport like powerlifting or weightlifting into your lifting? That's With a great that background. Question. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I mean, I've not competed a lot in powerlifting. I did compete a fair amount in karate um, and it kind of, it took the desire out of competing for me really because I did do it for so many years and, you know, often training camps and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm not too concerned about having a competitive career in powerlifting. But um, yeah, I th I, that's a great question. I think probably the transition I took is that when you're in a, a combat sport like karate, you know, you had sort of three minute rounds with, with people and it's very, very easy to get very worked up um, at the start of the, the fight or the combat. You know, you can lose control of your heart rate, your breathing and stuff like that. And you can really just tire very quickly and your mind can go away from your game plan if you had one and what you're trying to do within the fight. So you have to just work on your, so, yeah, can use the word mindset just to bring everything down to a level when you're back in control. And I think I've been able to transition that over to the barbell a little bit, um, you know, training videos and stuff that I put up on Instagram and stuff. You can see that I'm not someone who's going to, you know, headbutt in the bar and stuff before the lift. It's just going in with calm, knowing what I'm doing and then just you know, for example, when you come down in a squat, then putting all your energy into, into popping back up and just knowing when to turn on that switch. Um, I guess same in a, the, you know, the skills I used in, in karate, I suppose. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, especially what, what you said about, you know, not getting too worked up and being able to bring yourself down and stay level. I've certainly seen many people at powerlifting or uh, weightlifting competitions who are getting all worked up and then they perform poorly but they don't normally lift that way. They, you know, yeah. they're just in the, the moment and they think this is what I have to do. People are expecting me to look a certain way or act a certain way, but it's like, that's not you. So you have to kind of do your own lifting and stay cool and keep your mindset level. Yeah, absolutely. Now with the history of strength sports, how, how do you do your research? Where do you find these facts? Uh, how do you go about, you know, uh, digging through history? Yeah, so I think I try and cover, yeah, firstly, I try and cover everything on a, 
I try and be fair to everybody, all strength sports, because I understand the responsibility that I have as, you know, at the history of strength sports to cover everything in a, in a fair manner. So I do try and divide the post between bodybuilding, strongman, powerlifting, um, you know, knee strength sports like, you know, Highland Games. Um, I do try and give a 50-50 towards the female side of it and the male side of it um, and try and cover all different countries and areas of the world. Um, having said that, I do let the posts be led by my own curiosity. So most of the posts that you will see are just questions that I've had. And because I'm in and around strength sports, I know that other people are probably asking them the same, you know, themselves the same question. If not, they would be interested in, in the outcome anyway. Um, so just, you know, off the top of my head, a couple of posts that we've done is, you know, what's the heaviest front squat that's ever been done? You know, and I thought, oh, you know, tap that into the, the Google machine and let's see what, see what pops out. Um, what was it? I think oh, I knew you were going to say that. I think it was either a 400 kilo or 410 kilo by a, um, a lifter called Jezza Uipa. I think I might be pronouncing his name right. Um, he's from a small Pacific island um, and he's just an absolute monster in the front squat. He's just really built for it. Um, and I had no idea. I th thought the world record would be something like 500 pounds, maybe a little bit more. Um, but yeah, he's an absolute machine doing it. Um, yeah, that's monstrous. And I, I know from personal experience, when you're looking at all these facts and stuff like that, I always try to sound out the names of some of these people. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I give up, you know, strong yeah. guy, strong lady. <laughs> yeah. We'll just write it down. Um, yeah. So I think the research really, obviously I don't want to be reporting on um, misinformation, false information. Um, so I do try and, pull from at least three different sources so if i've found a fact i do try and ratify it with a couple of other sources um try and get a, a primary source if possible um with the momentum that's built from the page as well i'm able to now reach out to athletes and people who, who've been involved and they'll readily get back to me with the actual facts and provide a quote which is great um i'm not a huge reader <laughs> which is probably um constrictive to most what most people will think of a historian as but um I struggle just, I have a very short attention span. So I struggle with, you know, sitting down with the book and getting through it um, fully, which I guess why the platform Instagram where, where I post mostly works because it's quite quick um, information. Um, but yeah, I do obviously, if there's a subject that's that's within a book, obviously try and get the excerpt from that um, and get the primary quotes as well. So, I mean, there's some fantastic uh, resources online. I use a lot of resources from the Stark Center based at the University of Texas. Um, Jan Todd and the team down there are just phenomenal. I mean, they're the, you know, they're the go-to. They're the original. They're going to be the, you know, the leaders in this forever. Um, it, she's the, got, the leaders in, in strength history? Strength history, yeah. So they've got, um, at the University of Texas, there is the Stark Center, um, which is basically a collection um, of archives, uh, memorabilia, um, and it's also a project towards preserving strength history and, and what they call physical culture um, she's got a number of very very good professors who work at the university of texas uh, one for example is connor heffernan um, and he runs a great website as well um, where i do pull a few ideas and, and resources and things like that um, so yeah that that's often a starting point um, that's pretty online. cool i think that you know especially for people living in the states that may not have known that that's like yeah. a destination you know if you're if you're a fan, if you're a weightlifter, a powerlifter, a strong man or woman, you know, that seems like the place to go. I'm going to have that on my list. I would love to go to the Stark Center. Yeah, it's a, it's a real bucket list thing for, for a lot of people, myself included. Um, 
there, as you can understand, not many strength sports museums. In fact, that might be the only one. Um, so yeah, it's, it seems like a wonderful place. Um, and it's got some of the original um, piece of kit that we used by, you know, famed strongmen hundreds of years ago. So definitely worth a visit. Yeah, I know we have um, in PA, the, um, the weightlifting hall of fame, which okay. is not too far from where, where I live. It, it'd be like maybe a four hour drive, but I yeah. think you're inspiring me a little bit. You know, I need to just get in the car on a weekend and go to that, you know, and walk around it. Maybe I'll have to see if anyone, you know, in my, my gym wants to go and we'll have like a little carpool, you know, and go watch and listen to some weightlifting history, but yeah, I, you got me like fired up to go out there and go to a museum now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that would have been the, the York barbell um, museum. Um, and I know also the company Sorinex, they have a, a museum. Yeah. So I probably misspoke when I said it's the only strength sport museum. There's actually a few um, Sorinex have a, have a museum. There's quite a few bits at the British museum. I know in London. Um, so yeah, I think when, when we can get out and about and travel again, I think these places are worth a visit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my bucket list is growing now as we speak Great. Australia, the Stark center and stuff in my own backyard that I just have neglected. Now, do you consider yourself a historian? That's a good question. It's, it's um, a big title, right? It's like, it's like, do you claim the title? Does someone have to give you the title? If someone yeah. has to give you the title, I'm going to give it to you. You're a historian. <laughs> thank Jake you. Hawkins. Thank you. Um, I'd probably say I'm an, I'm an amateur historian, which kind of uh, lets me off the hook a little bit. Um, yeah, again, I don't know what would define me as a historian. I don't know whether someone with an interest in history uh, is a historian but yeah i'd probably say an amateur historian um i, I think that for, i think that's fair considering you're you're not a year in and like a yeah. historian is typically someone who's going to be an expert right but also part of the definition is being a student of history yep. and mm -hmm. so i mean like i think you're you're well on your way you're already the student so you just need years under your belt to become the expert yeah definitely and if and when history strength uh, sports becomes my full-time job then maybe i'll uh, i'll rethink the title <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, in in your research, what are kind of the the your top three favorite pieces of history where you're like, man, I just love that. Like, that is such a cool thing. I wish I could have seen it. I wish I could have been there in the room when it happened. What are your top three? Yeah, this is a took some thinking about. Um, yeah, right. I can kind of go about this different ways and talk about either themes or individual feats. Um, I kind of do, kind of do a bit of both. So stone lifting is probably um definitely in my top three um just the whole notion and the history behind lifting stones of strength um so we know of traditional lifting stones in places like scotland the faroe islands iceland denmark sweden germany um in these kind of places that we know to have been lifted hundreds if not thousands of years ago um, and there's just something about stone lifting that's so cool it's so raw and authentic um and it just gives you that connection to the past that you're perhaps lifting something that you know famed strongmen of the past have and you know it's where you know matt vincent who's a highland games athlete who i follow quite a bit he says you know if you stand by these stones of strength eventually the, the strongest people in the world will turn up um and it's just a it's just a draw for people to to come and visit them um I was lucky enough actually to go to Iceland a couple of years ago and lifted a few of the stones myself. And you can just, it's a different feeling. You can just feel the history and, you know, I'm, I'm not that kooky to talk about energy, but you kind of feel like an energy, like you're, you know, reconnecting to the past. Um, and I just think it's, it's a very, very cool aspects of history. Yeah. No, I, I totally get that. That's, I mean, it's the same thing to some extent of 
standing at the foot of the pyramids, you know, like you're standing where so many have before and just imagining what has happened right where your feet are under, you know, in the same soil and grass and everything. And the fact that someone has picked it up and then you're trying to pick it up and, or maybe yeah. even you do pick it up, you're probably, you know, if you pick up any of these stones, I'm sure some of them are more manageable than others. You are still on a short list of people in history who have gone and done it. And that's really yeah. cool. It's really special. Yeah, absolutely. And especially because to the ordinary person who doesn't know the history, it's just a rock in the field. So it makes it that little bit more special to the people that, that know it. Um, but also there's something special about actually doing the act of lifting it because, you know, you can't jump on a barbell on a flat floor in a field to warm up. You know, you've just got to go straight into it and yeah, yeah. just lift it off the floor. So, um, yeah, that, I, think that, I think that makes it even more of a cooler thing. Like, I think the people that do that are like the truly strong, you know, yeah. like, cause you have your strength at all times. And this thing with like, you know, like having like a 45 minute warm up and foam rolling and things like that. It's like, well, I mean, if you had to use your strength and your fitness to survive, you wouldn't have time to do any of that. You know, a lion doesn't stretch before it goes and chases down a gazelle or anything like that. So it's like, you would think that we would be able to do similar things. And I think stuff like that kind of proves it a little bit like you're capable of so much more than you think you are unless you put a limit on it oh i've got to stretch my hammies before i go and do this yeah. maybe it's not a maybe it's not a um a product of having to do that it's just you haven't taken care of yourself to the point where you don't need that yeah absolutely yeah it's just a, a very cool piece of a strength history um yeah i think the, the other ones in my top three i think um the whole notion of the late 19th century early 20th century vaudeville performances that we know old-time strongmen um used to do in the you know the sort of the rivalries that went on there and and everything like that and there's one specific example that comes to mind um in terms of that so i'm a big eugene fan sandal fan um he's an old-time strongman he's probably one of the leading characters in in strength history and there's a couple of stories about his you know live performances in in and around england um there's one where he goes up against a uh, a chap called Samson. Um, so Samson and his uh, apprentice called Cyclops, who's an Eastern European strongman, um, they're doing a regular tour show and um, and they call people up randomly from the audience and, and challenge them. Um, so Eugene Sando goes along and you know basically hides in the crowd with all of his kit under under a dinner suit and then they ask for a challenger um you know obviously that in the past they, they've always won the the lifting challenges um call for a challenger and he pops up on stage you know rips off his dinner suit and then starts basically embarrassing them both um, which i think <laughs> is a really cool story um so he ends up having sort of a face-off with Cyclops on stage, and then they call him back a few weeks later to go up against the main man, Samson, um, on a stage performance. And just the build-up to that and the atmosphere and, and things, I just think it would have been a wonderful event to have, have been there. Um, he goes to really great lengths to, to win. So one of uh, Samson's feats are that he places a chain around his bicep, flexes, and the chain pops off, um, and the audience, you know, gasp and things like that. Um, so Eugene Sando goes to the lengths of finding out where his chains are made. He goes and has one made for himself, invites the owner of the store where he gets the chains to come to like ratify the defeat when he when he defeats Samson. Um, yeah, just an incredible 
incredible events. Apparently, he couldn't even get into the building because the crowds are so many. Ends up coming through a back door and kicking the door down, and that's his entrance to the theatre. And just, <laughs> you know, these people that have not been known to the public in person because, you know, social media, online stuff wasn't around. Um, you know, this is when they're seeing these people in person. It just must have been such a wow factor for ordinary people to see these, you know, incredible athletes burst through the door. And Especially do when, when you think about the size of the average person in that time in history versus yeah. these literal giants who you're just like, you know, like, like you're, you're the average guys, maybe, well, I don't know, five, six or five, seven or something like that. And these guys are six, five, and no one normally sees someone that big who is yeah. like several hundred pounds and they're doing all this stuff. They must've been inhuman. And I love their, determination to beat one another you know like like there should be movies made on this topic of just just showing the obsession you know it's kind of like um like moby dick right just that obsession of hunting down this white whale or just trying to beat this cyclops dude and i love the nicknames as well <laughs> yeah definitely they were all you know vying for the the name world's strongest man and of course without a world's strongest man competition they were just you know, had to self-market themselves as that um, and had to beat each other in order to, to prove that in, you know, one-on-one -on -one matches like this. And I think the only thing we can equate it to nowadays is, you know, Hafthor Bjornsson and Eddie Hall going head-to-head -head in a boxing match next year. I think that's the that's yeah. the equivalent nowadays. And it's, yeah, obviously that's, yeah, very cool in itself. What's, um, what's your quick opinion on over the summer they had all these records being challenged to be, you know, broken and isolated conditions not in competition all pretty much like it was back in the olden days uh what's your opinion on bringing that style back where you can just break a record in your garage as long as it's sanctioned by a governing body and you have official judges and i guess equipment yeah i think this has caused quite a bit of controversy and i don't want to upset anyone by by kind of taking too much of a strong stance on on either opinion but i think i think it was very good given the situation i think it did a lot of good for strength sports um to do this kind of stuff remotely um and i know people have said you know they're lifting in their own gym on their own kit and things like that but at the end of the day they were given a date months in advance just like it would be a competition so they still had to to peak to you know fit into their kit um correctly they had you know they're still lifting the same weight so it, it was essentially a competition just in a slightly different way um I think it's probably progress for sports in that when, you know, if, if the, the pandemic continues, I think it's a way that we can continue to compete um, sort of moving forward. But uh, yeah, I think it drew a few more eyes on the sport, which I thought was a, a very big positive. Half Thor's 501 deadlift, you know, was, was broadcast, I think, on, you know, all across Facebook, Core Sports World. I don't know if it was on ESPN. It may have been. Um, but yeah, just building up that for the general public, I thought was was very, very good for it. Um, obviously, competition is still the, the gold standard, but I think they did the best that they could um, with that. Yeah, I know I flip-flopped on it quite a bit over the summer, and I'm, I think I'm in your camp now. Uh, I think any exposure for that sport is important because it definitely needs more eyes on it. It's such an amazing sport. Strongman has amazing athletes, and I think it's something that you know can motivate a lot of people. And I think I remember it was about maybe a hundred thousand people watching the YouTube stream I was watching, which yep. is insane. You know, like that's yeah. incredible live watching him do it and just going on with the rest of your day after seeing someone deadlift the most that's ever been deadlifted. So I think it's a good thing too. I'm, I'm on board. Yeah, definitely. So what's, what's your last of your, your favorite oh. 
uh, things here. Yeah, the last one. So the last one's a specific feat of strength, and it has to go to Eddie Hall's 500 kilo deadlift. I just think that was such an incredible feat at the time. Um, I think what made it even more special is the just the lengths that he went to and the risk that he placed on himself in order to to make history. Essentially, um, I've met Eddie in person. I met him just after the his win at the the world's strongest man competition he's just enormous um you know his calf was like my torso it was just <laughs> just incredible um but is the, he the same but, as what he projects on on the camera is he like that same guy with all the energy yeah, and the antics and stuff yeah he's such a such a lovely guy um yeah couldn't couldn't have been nicer really um and you know it was kind of a, a signing type deal so loads of people coming in and out and things and he still made time to have a chat and things so yeah um he's definitely up there in, in my top you know favorite athletes um i think what made it special as well is that the deadlifts relatable not only to people involved in strength sports but to to the wider public you know everyone feels what a you know a one plate deadlift feels like what a hundred kilo deadlift feels like and for him to have done 500 um just it's just a mind-boggling number um, and I just think it was, yeah, very, very cool. Um, so that's definitely in the top three. Yeah. I mean, it was, I remember when it happened, everyone was, their jaws were on the floor. And I think one thing that really got me rooting for Eddie and still has me rooting for him today was that, um, uh, that, that biography or autobiography that's on, I think Hulu or Netflix, yeah. one of those two, he has like, they followed his life, you know, training for strongest man. And he's, he's like everyone else. Like he's like everyone else in the gym. <laughs> And he was, it was super motivating. So anyone I highly recommend typing in the search bar on maybe Hulu or Netflix or something like that, type in Eddie Hall and watch his, his doc because it was, um, it was very inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's very special. And, and like you said, he's not, you know, he's obviously a big guy, but I think he's six two six three. He's not, you know, the six ten half Thor's Brian Shaw's. He, he had to put a lot of work into building the size and the, you know, the strength that he needed. And it was just every aspect of his life he had to alter um, and put a yeah very, very high amount of risk on his own body, um, which just makes it even more special. So I'm glad to see that he's doing so well, having retired um, from the sport. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just a good, he's a great um, ambassador for the sport. I will say like seeing him retired and I'm assuming uh, Half Thor of the Mountain is retired as well. Um, just because of he's completely changed his training and he would have to just really hit the brakes and go back the other way to get back to what he was. So I'm assuming he's at least done for a while. Um, one thing that, that pops in my mind is like, he looks so healthy now, you yeah. know, and, and you see a lot of these big guys, you know, they maybe don't look so healthy or they end up passing young, you know, yeah. um, it's happened a lot over the last couple of years. So I'm really happy that they're kind of like, they did what they need to do they're out and they're great ambassadors for the sport. And now it's time to excite us in different ways, you know, especially with this boxing match. I'm, I'm assuming you are 100% in te on Team Eddie. <laughs> yeah, maybe not 100%. I'm, I'm part Icelandic myself. So I feel, Ooh, you know, okay. I may even be related to him. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's it's really good fun um i think on social media they're portraying you know this this bitter rivalry eddie hall put out a video about you know half thor having a bit of a a strop in one of the competitions about some some reps and things i think a lot of that's for show i know how close the guys at the top level are um and i know they're just um yeah they're probably playing as asset a little bit there um yeah i think i they're, agree they're, 
tongue in cheek, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm a yeah. conspiracy theory guy, so I'm like, <laughs> hey, in the back room, Jacob, you say this about me. Don't say anything about my wife until one month out. It's all good. You know, we'll get paid afterwards and we'll smoke some cigars and we'll have a good time. But like, you know, like I'm, I'm assuming there's some agreements, you know, and then they know what they're going to do. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I, I can't wait. That's going to be awesome. Now, with the history of strength sports, what is the oddest piece of strength history or fact that you've come across where you're like, that is, that is weird. Like this guy carried a cow five miles, you know, or, or something <laughs> like that. And, you know, there's that, there's of course the, the ancient history and the, and those strength wars of picking up the cab every day, you know, and it grows and you get strong, but like, have you found every, anything where you're like, that is just bizarre. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of some specific examples here. Um, there's a few, stone stories there's a stone story from hawaii um and one of the the kings of hawaii is said to have lifted this this rock which i think i'm trying to remember the numbers i think weighs about six tons and apparently picked it up and flipped it um and then he was made king on the back of the you know the prowess that he he gave to that um oh, i'm trying to think of other things um i did a, a poll yesterday on on instagram and and uh just kind of said you know guys what do you think the you know the most impressive feat of strength history is and i've heard loads of story people have told me loads of stories about um mothers who have lifted cars off children um when they've yeah. been trapped under cars and i'd love to research into that and see if you know there's any sort of evidence of that or possibly interview one of these people i think that's quite a uh, a strange one um that would be super cool for you to look into yeah. like just like real accounts like everybody uses that as an example but i don't know of like a legit occurrence of it happening that would be cool to look up yeah i'm sure there's evidence there must be newspaper articles with names and things and and stuff like that that we could do some digging on um i think yeah some other strange pieces kind of late 19th century early 20th century some of the numbers that come out of that period um are a little bit iffy um to, to say the least so um there's one specific example arthur saxon who performed in the Saxon trio sort of all over Europe. And he's said to have done a, um, he's a 200 and I've written down somewhere, 260 kilo bent press, um, which is basically where you shoulder a dumbbell, kettlebell, barbell, lean over to one side and push it up over your head. Um, that was it. Yeah. 168 kilos, um, is what he was said to have pressed overhead with, with one hand in a, in a bent press. And then, uh, Martin's Lisas, who was the 2019 world's strongest man has been trying to replicate that. And he's up to 90 kilos. Um, wow. And if anyone, if anyone, you know, can break that record, it's him. Um, so I think that's a little bit of a strange one. Um, but then again, you think it's some... just because they didn't have a way to like accurately weigh things or they were just like, yeah, it weighs 150 kilos. They're like, <laughs> they're like, it's just some, some person that owns it. Like, yeah, that's probably what it weighs, you know, but no yeah. one actually knows. Yeah, definitely. There were some tricks that were played. So on, on stage performances, they had these big globe barbells that were impossible to lift. So they'd get an audience member out to try and lift it. And then there'd be a little trap door on the, on the end of the, the barbell and they'd open that and then the lead or the sand would pour out, making it lighter. You know, someone would be talking to the crowd, they'd lighten the weight and then they'd lift it. Um, so it maybe weighed, maybe weighed that at the beginning, but whether it did after, um, but I should probably be careful what I say because the Arthur Saxon fans in strength history, they're pretty diehard. <laughs> so they'll probably kill me for saying that. But in my opinion, that's a, that's a strange one. 
are are there indeed i mean other than your fans hardcore strength groupies that if you say the wrong thing they're going to be buying a <laughs> ticket to australia i mean some of the comments on instagram get a little bit hairy with people when when we question things or, or things like that i think people like myself you know we all have our own um sort of preferences and favorites and things and people back those uh, athletes and strength feats no matter what so yeah it can get a little bit interesting sometimes well i mean it's good that you're challenging it i mean if you think about it throughout history we've got to be at the pinnacle right now in terms of the athletes because we have the most resources available so it it makes sense that Mar- martin lice right is that how you say yeah martin's lesis i think yeah, is how you it, yeah so it makes sense that he should probably, you know, he's the world's strongest man, be able to match or get close to that record. But the mm-hmm. fact that he's so far off does kind of make you think that something's amiss, you know, because yeah. he has so many more resources, nutrition, coaching, recovery, just quality of life, probably, that mm-hmm. he should be at that level. So it's just kind yeah. of odd. Yeah, definitely. But then we know of athletes like the the Louis Sears and the Paul Andersons of the world who just we know that the weights they were lifting were probably what they were saying. Um, and had they been, you know, born 50, hundred years later, they would be top. Um, so there's just, there are these absolutely phenomenal athletes just born a little bit too early to have their records set in stone or on video as we're looking to have enough, you know, that, nowadays. That is true. I'm a big fan of Paul Anderson. Uh, I've, I've had a chance to go to Savannah, Georgia and go into the gym there where they have a plaque, you know, that dedicated to him and some memorabilia and stuff like that. It's the, uh, the, I believe it's the Cohen center. It's a well, M- Michael okay. Cohen's gym, uh, down yeah. there in Savannah, Georgia, weightlifting gym. But, uh, it's, I've seen so many videos of his, you know, and digging the holes and squatting out of it and just being just a giant man. There's a movie right there. Like someone needs to make, we just need strength movies, you know, yep. but <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I I've heard the stories about him too, about going to the Olympics and, he shows up and the Russians are like, well, there's no point in competing like because he's here. So like they're refusing to compete because they're like, we can't beat him. So this is just dumb. Like we're not going to yeah. do it. Yeah. Just, just incredible. And um, yeah, wish, wish he'd been around a little bit later, but um, yeah. One of those. Yeah. Now with barbell history, you mentioned it before you, you put up a poll about the most impressive feat of strength that has been done and you also saw, because I read the post, that no one has mentioned what yours is yet. But they, they mentioned a lot of things, you know, such as mm. Eddie Hall's 500 kilo deadlift, which is surprising that they said Eddie Hall and not the mountain, even though the mountain, I mean, that, of course, <laughs> see, there's teams, there's teams there. Um, yeah. But what what is yours? Like, in your opinion, what is the most impressive feat of strength of yeah. everything you've seen? Yeah, what came out of the poll was really interesting. I had a lot of Eddie fans, had a lot of Benedict Magnuson fans, a lot of Luke Stoltman fans with the with the stones, um, and you know Brian Shaw carrying the Dinny stones and Arthur Saxon and all these. There were there were loads. I get literally hundreds of responses. I wish I could reply. Yeah, so apologies if you anybody wrote back on the poll. I just don't have time to reply to everyone. There were hundreds. Um, yeah, I'm. I think my answer is probably going to cause a little bit of, of controversy, but I, I stand by it and I think it's just an incredible um, feat. So what I'm actually going to go with is a feat of strength from equipped powerlifting. So if people aren't familiar with what equipped powerlifting is, basically a powerlifting squat bench deadlift, equipped powerlifters use a squat suit, um, multiply lifters use squat briefs, a squat suit, 
they're allowed multiple layers of supportive compressive equipment in order to to lift more weight um, they also use a bench shirt um, which is a very stiff often canvas or denim shirt that allows them to lift more and they'll use a deadlift suit which kind of is a struggle to get into a deadlift position but then once you're lifting it helps you raise raise the weight um <clears throat> so it's not a specific feat it's what what he did on a on a particular day so the athlete i'm referring to is dave hoff so he's probably the strongest powerlifter who arguably who's ever lived um but raw powerlifting is sort of more it's more backed nowadays equipped powerlifting uh, although it's not lost popularity there just are a lot more raw lifters nowadays so equipped powerlifting sort of gets put to the back burner anyway in uh, in 2019 at the wpo super finals which was aired on U uh, espn um he did a 3103 pound total so over those three lifts he lifted three over three thousand pounds um wow. which in my opinion is the the biggest feat in strength history so on that day he did a 1273 squat which is 577 kilos which is just phenomenal in itself you know that as a standalone strength feat is is just incredible um and then he did a thousand fourteen thousand fifteen pound bench and then finished up the day with an 816 pound deadlift um so the fact that he was able to do those incredible lifts after the massive squat is unbelievable um he'd obviously had to peak for that day with a quick power lifting the the kit that you wear only fits if you're a certain size. Um, so we would have had to manipulate his body weight and his sort of water retention perfectly to be able to get the most out of his kit. Um, he actually passed on his third squat and his third deadlift, which shows really, you know, smart competitive competitiveness. He could have gone heavier on the squat, but he, he chose not to, um, to save a little bit of energy. Um, and he jumped up his own world record by almost a hundred pounds, which in powerlifting is a massive amount. Um, and what I like as well is that after he achieved all this, you know, he didn't come out and say, you know, I'm the, I'm the world's strongest man. He stayed pretty humble. He still, you know, officiates at meets and, and judges and things. And he's just kind of getting his head down and, and quietly trying to build, build an even bigger total. So in my opinion, that's the, that's the most impressive feat. What he did on that day is just incredible. I, I think that's awesome. I think it's super cool that you picked a feat of strength that is a total as opposed to just an individual lift, you know, because I mean, in these strength sports, especially powerlifting and weightlifting, the total is everything, you know, of course, yeah. it's cool to have that big snatch or big clean jerk or bench press. But what's your total? And this is indeed an impressive total. And I, I agree, I think a geared equipped powerlifting does get a bad rap. But mm -hmm. really, it's just a different skill, right? You yeah. know, I mean, you, you can be raw, but using that equipment doesn't magically let you you know, back squat 500 kilos, it takes skill as well to use the suit and use the equipment and to train with it and to be so precise in your training and calculated to peak for that day the way he did. One thing that I always have a lot of respect for powerlifters for is their fine attention to detail. It's like down to an exact science to be ready on their particular day, even yep. more so with being geared. And it's not like he came out and said that, you know, He's uh, better than Ed Cohn or something like that, you know, like didn't ruffle any feathers. I mean, when you started talking, like the hairs on the back of my neck kind of came up a little bit. I'm like, well, what about Ed Cohn? Ed Cohn, you know, the, the goat. But, you know, but this is cool. I've never heard of this guy or this feat. Is there, there's probably video of him out there, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. It was it was aired on ESPN, so there's pretty pretty good good footage. We did a post. Um, I did a post um, a few months back um, with all three lifts, and sometimes in a quick powerlifting, people question the depth on the squats or the soft lockouts on the bench press. But his lifts on that day were just flawless, um, just unbelievable, and just the I think the courage it takes to put that amount of weight on your back to hold a thousand pounds over your face. It's just something really really special. Um, yeah, just think it's really cool. It's life and death. Yeah, literally, literally. And um, yeah, he handled it really well on that day. And that's why he's my top. What, what was his name again? Dave Hoff. Dave Hoff. Okay, yep. Dave Hoff powerlifting. I'm mm-hmm. going to be looking up those videos uh, <laughs> right after we get off because I need to see it. I probably it's saw awesome. it when you posted it, but it just probably didn't register, you know, how the magnitude of, of the moment. Now, with that sounds like it'd be an incredibly hard feat for someone to, to beat, although I'm sure he has competitors. Have mm-hmm. you come across any records or feats of strength or, or anything in strength sports where you're like, this is an un- unbeatable, like this could never, other than the ones that are obscure, where it's like, we don't know from ancient history if he really did lift six tons to become king and stuff like that. Like something that we have to actually have tangible data on, but it's mm-hmm. unobtainable for anyone else. It was literally that person. Yeah. Again, really, really good question. I love all these. Um, I think the first thing that I need to probably iron out is that some, because of technicality, some strength history records can't be broken. Like I know in weightlifting, they change some um, body weight divisions, which, you know, after doping scandals and whatever. Um, so those records, you know, kind of have to stand for for the test of time. Um yeah, the one I, I mentioned earlier, Arthur Saxon and the bent press. Not sure that'll ever be beaten. Um, Martin Lisa's just had a, had a good go. Um, not sure that'll ever get there. Um, there's a, a backlift um, that was done by Greg Ernst in, I think, about 1993. Um, so for those people who don't know, a backlift is a, it's a strange lift where you sort of get under a weight um, with a on your back. So you've got a 90-degree um, flex at the hip. Um, with bent legs and you're also holding something in your sorry pressing against something um for your arms so it's it's sort of a a quarter leg press quarter bench press um in that kind of movement and it's just about lifting the heaviest weight off the floor that you can and he did i'm gonna probably mess up the the numbers here i've not got it in front of me i think it was about five thousand four hundred pounds something like two two and a half tons um which i'm not sure will ever be broken i don't see wow anybody seeing the point in breaking that it sounds incredibly risky um it yeah, the was things very... you have to do to your body to train for it and then to do it yeah it's just just insane and i know that terry todd who um is you know was probably one of the um leading strength uh, sport historians of the stark center he was there and he you know gave it the thumbs up as a good lift so we know that that's um a definite passable lift um the other one as well it's not a specific strength feat but with world's strongest man, there are a few athletes who have won that multiple times. So we've got Bill Kazmaier with three, um, Zajunas Vickers, Brian Shaw with four, John Paul Signison with four, um, Magnus Vermagnuson with four, um, and then Marius Pujanowski with five. I think given that world's strongest man only started in 1977, the talent pool of athletes and the popularity of the sport has only grown since then. So I'm not sure, I'm just not sure that anybody in the future will be able to get more than five world's strongest man titles under their belt. Um, just because it's that bit more 
competitive. And like you saw with um, Hafthor Bjornsson, he perhaps had the potential to dominate the sport for a number of years. Um, but, you know, he's got a young family, he's got other interests, he wants to preserve his own health. Um, whether somebody's going to stay in the sport for that long to, to knock Pujanowski off his, off his pedestal. So I think that's an interesting one to think about as well. Yeah, I think if I think Hafthor, like we said earlier, I think he's making the right choice. You know, he's a star. He's known world, world, worldwide. You know, yep. so it's like, and now he's going into acting. You know, I, I did a podcast on this the other day. He's doing a a, a movie with Mike Tyson called Desert oh, Strike. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And it's it's going to be an absolute ridiculous movie. Um, just pure popcorn fun and and antics. But it's like uh, I posed the question on that podcast. You know, does anyone think that the mountain will eventually develop into the type of actor with the charisma and screen presence of someone like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Cause when he started, he certainly wasn't perfect. It was yeah. cringy to watch his early movies, just like it is kind of now, other than if he's being silent and swinging a big sword to watch the mountain. And I, I think he could do it. You know, I think he could, it takes time, but you're going to see some of these guys like Eddie Hall, Eddie Hall has to get in the movies. He needs to just be on the big screen. He's, He's got it already, I think. I think he can yep. carry a film or at least be a side character that is just a lot of fun. So I think yeah. these guys are making the right choices. Like, why would you risk, you know, your health and dying early for a couple more, you know, titles when you you reach the pinnacle, you accomplished your goals, and then you got a baby on the way? That makes a lot of sense to me. Go make millions making movies, you know. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's a lot of fun. I didn't know about Hafthor in that movie, but um, yeah, I think they're making the right choice. And it it's so hard to you know knock anybody off the the pedestal at that level anyway. That you know is the juice juice isn't worth the squeeze at that um that level. I don't think. I mean, and now speaking about these big figures in the sport of strongman, there's so many sports that are strength sports who would you say in your opinion is the most influential? Like if there's going to be one man standing on the highest stone, you know, who like influences everything and everyone and everyone looks to this one man or woman, who is the most influential person in strength sports of wow, all time? I'm going all time. Of all, ta- of all time. That's a big question. Um, oh gosh. I think, I think in sort of bygone eras, people like Louis Sear, Eugene Sandow, I think they were the most influential. I think they've sort of determined the strength history around that period. Um, I think, oh yeah, it's a great question. I think in, in modern times, um, yeah, you've got me stumped on that one pass <laughs> i think yeah probably the likes of eddie hall and, and hafthor pretty much encapsulate the the strength sports now but i don't know well, that i mean do you think person. that that eddie hall in the mountain i mean do you think they eclipse someone in in, in terms of influence like uh like arnold like like someone that comes to, to my mind would be arnold schwarzenegger like yeah anyone and everyone knows him and yeah he's from the sport of bodybuilding but he also did powerlifting and olympic style weightlifting and probably strongman. So like when I think of someone who's like influenced it all and and inspired everyone, I don't think there's one person who, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe these days because Arnold's getting old and he, you know, he doesn't get talked about a whole lot anymore, but Arnold comes to my mind and he's up on my wall right now. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd have to say, I agree. Yeah, Arnold slipped my mind for a moment there, but yeah, I think you're right. Even a lot of the athletes and, and 
even people on the historian side of it were influenced by by Arnold. I think still nowadays, rather than being a, a current figure in strength sports, I think that nostalgia um, is still key for for most people in the in the sport. And yeah, just his just timeless uh, physique and, and what he did, and he was also incredibly strong. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're right. He's a he's probably up there. The oak, the Austrian oak, can't <laughs> yeah. beat him. And I don't have it in here uh, to show you, but in another room of my house, I have a uh, p- framed poster of Franco Colombo deadlifting nice. about 600 pounds. And there's a dog there in the gym looking at him. And it's actually signed because when he was alive and working as a chiropractor, you could just go onto his website and order. This is like, this is like early 2000s. Like I probably bought it in 2009, uh, but you just go on there and order a website or order a poster and he'll send it to you. You know, So it's like, it was super cool. It's like, I was too afraid to respond back to the email, you know, like I'm like your order has been shipped out or anything or ask him any questions, but I was like, cool. I got a signed Franco Colombo poster. <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah. I think um, that's definitely on my bucket list to, to build more of a memorabilia collection. I think the only piece I've got left, I've got a 1903 um, postcard photograph signed by Eugene Sandal. Um, and that's the only one I've got left, obviously with the move over here, I got rid of a lot of stuff, but um yeah, I'd loved, like you said, to have a room with with some bits and have a bit of a, a showcase of the stuff. Well, I mean, you know, in a couple of years when the history of strength sports is like huge and world renowned and stuff, you might have to have your own museum. Like, imagine that. That would be very cool. Very cool. I would take that. <laughs> now, with, with speaking of Arnold and, and bodybuilding and Franco, I noticed that on the list of history of strength sports, it has strongman, powerlifting, and bodybuilding and of course weightlifting is in there as well um, yeah but then it says niche sports so yeah. is as niche sports like kettlebells uh does crossfit have a, a place in this even though there's a lot of mixed modalities they do do a lot of strength there are barbell components of competition that are impressive in their own right so i mean what's what's your opinion on on well, first, let me know, like, what are these other niche sports? And then is, does CrossFit has a, have a place at the table? Yeah, so, so with that statement, what I was referring to was um, sports like the Highland Games, um, grip sports, which is a whole underground sort of um, layer of, of strongman when people, you know, are competing, doing, um, you know, pinch grips and, and competing in, in what they call arm lifts. And I think that's the very cool side of it. There's also um, steel bending, which is a whole other strength sport where people have challenges where they bend particular bits of steel and nails and things like that. Um, kind of, it's difficult to know where to draw the line because even things like shot put discus, is that a strength sport? It's difficult to, to kind of um, draw the line there. Um, yeah, with, with CrossFit, I think, and I did do a poll on this a few weeks ago, and it was caused a bit of a, a stir. Um, <laughs> people people tend to, there's a little bit of snobbery in strength sports that people look to CrossFit as some as more of an endurance-based um, fitness activity, quote unquote. Um, but in my personal opinion, yeah, I would count it as a strength sport. I think you guys train and compete with a barbell and the barbell is, you know, encapsulate strength sports. So I can't really argue with that. Um, and also strength is such a huge component of CrossFit. Um, you know, I think it's, it's all relative if you've got a, you know, six, 700 pound deadlift and then you're doing a deadlift ladder in CrossFit with three, 400 pounds, that's going to be so much easier because you've got that maximal strength. Um, behind you so although it's not a 
quote unquote traditional strength sport and given that it's a relatively new sport um it doesn't kind of get the get the um the name strength sports all the time but yeah i think i think we can throw it in there definitely um i did a post a while a while ago on the history of crossfit which was quite interesting um and people agreed with me when i did the poll on on instagram it was about a 30 percent, 70 percent split 30 percent said it was um so yeah i'm, I'm gonna counter <laughs> yeah I, i'm i'm happy to hear that um i, I think that it definitely should have a, a seat at the table and i kind of imagine like a either like some sort of like a, a family tree that has branches you know and of course yep. you have olympic style weightlifting at one end you have powerlifting you have crossfit you know and, and they can just branch off of some root strength of a bunch of people gathering around trying to pick up a heavy rock you know and or yeah. or pick something up heavy and walk it 50 feet you know which has some kind of you know or uh, anaerobic capacity work in it so I, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to, to to hear that you know i think it definitely should have a spot at the table now real yeah. quick are you hearing that that little static thing no no, let me just rejig my headphones here. Is that any better? Are you still getting that? Uh, it's it's coming in in intervals, so I'll have to okay. wait wait a second to see if it comes in. Yeah, yeah. I figured maybe it was like a loose wire or, or something like that. Okay, not that I can see. Yeah, let me know if it happens again. I'll... And it's possible it's my headphones too. Maybe I'm the only one that's hearing it right now, and the listener's yeah. like, James, you're crazy. Nothing's been happening. So <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> so barbells. Of course, you know, I want to know all about barbells. This is the Barbell Strikes Back. Uh, let's go into the history of barbells. When did they make their first appearance on the scene in strength history? And how has the evolution been with them? Yeah, really good question. I think, um, yeah, it was interesting when you asked me because it gave me the sort of impetus to go back and have a look because I'd, I'd forgotten a lot of the history. Um, I actually read something today that kind of took it back a few hundred years. Um 11th century India apparently they they trained with these wooden logs Indian wrestling was was huge um sort of in the early early centuries in the 11th century they had these elongated wooden logs which you could argue were um you know a, a step in the in the evolution of the barbell um I think what we've what we've got to think about as well is that it's easy now to associate barbells with strength sports and think of them as a necessary part of training and, and competition, but pre 19th century, they just weren't. Um, the people who were interested in being strong and performing feats of strength did it with odd objects that people could relate to. So they were lifting, you know, horse and carts, um, rocks and all this kind of stuff to, to perform their, um, their feats of strength. And, and they weren't really training on what we'd, you know, know now as, as modern um, strength mechanisms. So um, it was around the, the 1830s that we start to see these elongated weighted objects. Um, and it was actually in a British, um, a British book for ladies exercise. It was, I think the book was called something like Exercise for Ladies. Um, and they have what they call these. Very inventive title. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, quite a, a comical book. Some of the uh, illustrations are quite fun. Um, but one of the pieces of equipment that was recommended in that book was what was called an Indian scepter. Um, so it's kind of like an 80 centimeter to a meter long, looks like a big candlestick. Um, and it was, it was weighted. What they were doing with it isn't too clear. I don't know whether they were just sort of doing general movements with it. They certainly weren't doing, you know, squats and deadlifts. Um, but that's the, you know, the start of what we see in literature about the elongated weighted objects. Um, in Germany, around this same period, um, and Germany's kind of a, 
a pivotal factor in the evolution of the barbell. Around this time, they have um, an object called an Eisenstaber, which I may be absolutely butchering in terms of the, the pronunciation. Um, but that was known as a weighted iron bar and they were being developed and used in, in sort of gymnastic gyms um, and the like in Germany. Um, of course, also along alongside this dumbbells are being developed and we're sort of in the early stage of, of dumbbells in the early 1800s. Um, by the 1850s, we start to see a little bit more progress. So there's a brilliant illustration, one of my fav favorite illustrations in strength history of a, um, a gym in Paris in France um, run by a man called Hippolyte Triat. Um, again, probably butchering <clears throat> the pronunciation there, but he is known to have had the first quote unquote commercial gym um, where he had paying members who came in for exercise classes and they could also use, um, use the kit that he had in the gym. Um, on those illustrations, there are, it's sort of, it's a very, um, yeah, really cool um, illustration. It's him leading a class of, of people who are doing synchronized exercise, but then on the walls are all of the kits that he uses for other classes. Um, and we see the first um, sort of mini globe barbells that he has hanging from the walls. Um, and he later described these as, as being six kilos each, but they weren't called barbells at that time. He had his own French name for them, which I haven't um, <laughs> got in front of me. Um, you call that so by... stuff just hanging on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it just had everything just all over the wall. And you can just spot in the corner, these, these six kilo barbells. Um, in 1870, we see the word barbell for the first time. Um, and it's hyphenated bar hyphen bell. Um, and again, it's in a British gymnastics book for ladies. I don't know why this, uh, this keeps crop, cropping up. Um, and it's described as a as a hybrid of a dumbbell and a wand so it's an elongated dumbbell essentially with with wooden weighted wooden spears on the end uh spheres sorry on the end and that's kind of the first time we see it as a as a barbell um towards the late 19th century it seems like germany sort of takes over in the progression and they have these huge globe barbells so by globe barbells what i'm referring to is your standard metal bar in the middle but then huge spheres on the end which can be screwed on and filled with sand uh, water lead shot that kind of thing um and there's, that's there's pretty photos. Cool. i never realized that that's probably how you loaded it or maybe changed the weight so this yeah. bar has an orb at the end of both ends which i think probably a lot of people have seen in like old timey circus mm -hmm. style you know like the guy lifting it over his head but i didn't realize i thought that they were just welded together probably as opposed to like that's cool you can unscrew it yeah, some of them are screws. Some of them had little compartments that you could fill. Um, the compartments is, is where we talked about before about the uh, loading, unloading weights on stage for those um, oh, yeah. misleading yeah. feats sometimes. Um, but yeah, so in Germany um, at that time, they start producing these huge globe um, barbells, but they also start producing just bars with, that you can load discs onto. So weighted discs, as we know, as plates today. Um, and then in the early 20th century, it really starts to take off. Um, the Milo Barbell Company run by Alan Cambert. Uh, Alan Calvert, sorry, um, starts advertising the shot-loaded barbells. So again, barbells with adjustable ends where you could pop in um, lead shot, sand, or, or whatever you needed. Um, and then a company in Germany called Berg Barbell really starts to make some good progress. Um, and they actually have what's known as the first Olympic barbell, which is used in the in the 1928 Olympics. Um, and it's said to be the first revolving barbell. So where the plates move sort of independently of the bar, uh, allowing a bit more free-flowing movement. Um, and then, yeah, 1920s, 30s, 40s, York Barbell, Alico, these guys start to take over um, and really push it to what we uh, what we know today. Um, 
it's actually yeah given me a good thought for some future posts because there's so many variations of the barbell safety squat bars cambered bars deadlift bars hurricane bars all these things as to where all of those started so i think that's given me good food for thought for some future posts as well so thanks yeah it's, it's crazy to see how things have taken off since like that book you know on exercise for ladies and also in india you know with the objects that they're using and then now all of a sudden you see today you got some like a hurricane bar like just yeah. like where like you can barely hold on to it and it's wobbling all over the place is is pretty cool and yeah. my my shoulders ache thinking about a bar pre-rotation like that doesn't spin or the or the plates move independently of the bar <laughs> that that must have been a time for sure i i mean i don't i imagine that it's kind of interesting to think about i imagine with the evolution of this barbell that's along the same timeline is when different exercises will start to become probably more prevalent. Like I don't imagine the snatch being the most popular exercise until Aleiko and other companies start developing barbells that can spin and it, mm -hmm. they start to refine that sport of weightlifting versus before that, I know they did do snatches, but it probably wasn't the most popular thing because it just probably wasn't the most comfortable movement, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I was, I was working on a, on a post just before we, we started about the, um, the development of the squat. Um, and it was referred to as the deep knee bend. Um, it looks like a, you know, more of a ballet move than a, than a strength exercise, but they were using these small, fairly light barbells just because they didn't, you know, squat racks weren't invented. So they were having to lift them off the floor or get someone to lift them off the floor and place them on the back. Um, and that's where exercises like the Steinborn squat come from, where you literally you pick up one end of the bar, roll it onto the shoulders and then stand up and do squats with it. Um, yeah, all these iterations, kind of all the technology started to move forward together in the early part of the 19th century, uh, 20th century. It, it really kind, kind of goes to show you also how spoiled we are today, you know, that you have a squat rack. And then if you don't have a squat rack, you're like, oh, man, you know, like this sucks. Like, what am I going to do? It's like, no, flip that thing up and roll it on your back and do some squats or um, do like a Zercher style squat, which uh, a bunch of episodes ago, I, I, I talked about a little bit of history of that and that exercise, but it's like people found a way back in the day. And um, yeah, definitely. I guess people are still finding ways today, but it just kind of makes you wonder. It's like, I'll ask you this. Like, do you think that strength sports has lost something with innovation and not having to, struggle like they used to back in the day i mean technology is always a good thing but of course there's pitfalls with technology i mean just look at social media and things like that you know it's a highly you know a, a advantageous thing to have with this high level of communication but of course you've got all kinds of you know things happening with that that aren't the greatest uh, do you think there's a similar thing going on in strength sports yeah definitely it's, it's interesting to think about i think um they, they were forced to innovate at that time and were arguably stronger in some ways because of that. So obviously picking a barbell up from the floor to put on your shoulders takes a lot more, you know, stability, core strength, or, you know, all those kind of aspects to, to get it on your back. Um, but then they, they didn't necessarily know what they were innovating for, you know, powerlifting, Olympic lifting things, the records weren't as established as they are now. Um, the technology wasn't there um, and they didn't have as many people thinking, about ways around the training as we do now um i mean you search go on you know google pass and search and search weight training and you know and all manner of things pop up in terms of the innovation the technology so 
Yeah, to an extent, I think we've we've lost a little bit of um, sort of the creativity um, and a lot of the barbell movements, you know, powerlifting, um, Olympic lifting, especially are fairly simple now compared to what they were. Um, so in that we're just sort of moving up and down. Um, but yeah, I think it's yeah definitely an interesting one to think about. Yeah, it's like just something that you know, I you know I'm pondering right now, and it's one example I'm thinking of too is you know I've met so many people in strength and conditioning and you know you used to shake people's hands maybe not now but you know like you would shake someone's hand you'd be like all right you could feel their strength yeah well, a couple of years ago i was up at the top of the world in gatsby canada for the masters pan-american championships and there was a, a much older man in his 80s who was lifting which is awesome to see he's a canadian lifter and he was next to us on his platform and we shook his hand and when I shook his hand, if if he didn't want to let me go, I'm, I'm not getting away. Like this is an 80 year old man who is snatching 77 kilos, which is super impressive. And that's body weight. He was in this. I think he was. That's the weight class he was in. So very, very strong man. But it's like he's probably been training for so many years and coming out of like different eras where he had to do things that are way harder. Like he didn't have probably when he started out bars that spin right you know and fancy plates and all this other stuff he probably just had to go work a nine to five job trying to support his wife and kids and then like get to get into the gym and just start you know and and it reminds me of what we talked about all the way at the beginning of the conversation of just like you know using your strength and you're not on a foam roller for 45 minutes you're just getting in there and you're lifting things up so it's like a different breed of human and like I could feel that when I shook his hand it's like you are one of the strongest people I've ever met, you know, even though you're not clean and jerking 500 pounds, I saw someone do that at the Arnold championships this past year, but it's like, I don't, I, I didn't get that feeling from other people that like I did from this guy. And it kind of makes sense. He's coming from a different era of strength training and he has that yeah. raw, he, it felt like I was shaking hands with a piece of steel. Wow. Yeah. I think that's, that's another really interesting point in that, people uh you know from prior generations there was you know much more of an emphasis with physical labor um and a lot of the strong successful strongman and and weightlifters came from you know a farming background and things like that i know you know john paul sigmason who was a multiple time world's strongest man lived on a farm in iceland and spent his summers even as a, a young child you know throwing you know sacks of uh you know vegetables or hay bales or whatever they were they were doing there and i just think yeah perhaps nowadays um we're just not getting exposure as young to strength training so yeah perhaps there's pros and cons to the limits of strength back then and, and now it's yeah that's an interesting one yeah kind of kind of makes you feel a little inferior too like i think about you know like i i grew up playing video games you know and and on a computer and whatnot and this guy's probably out there you know milking cows and and getting bales of hay and stuff and he's just yeah. strong as a rock by the time he's 10 Absolutely. you know just kind of make, makes you think you know, kind of makes you wish like, ah, I wonder if things would be different if I grew up a different way, but it's just fun yeah. things to kind of think of. Yeah. Although I'm not complaining for, you know, what we have, you know, of course you gotta be grateful for what you have today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, perhaps people back then realized their strength potential earlier because they were just doing physical stuff early and yeah, maybe we've, um, missed out not doing that more early in life um but i guess there's people still around doing that kind of thing and you know you see seven-year-olds on instagram doing olympic weightlifting and things now it's just yeah people are getting into it early but different different kinds of training 
Do you think that at some point in the evolution of training and strength sports, things will start to go back to more classical ways? Like you'll start to see people doing squats where they're pitting up the bar. I forget the name of it and putting it on their back or just like going out and picking up stones and trying to do more of these more old timey, you know, for lack of a better term, styles of lifts and maybe even that style of competition, like not even just strongman, but do you think the niche aspects of strength will eventually gain more prominence? As a whole, yes. And I think that's probably due to the internet, social media, um, things like the, the grip sports that we talked about before and arm wrestling, you know, that's such a, a niche of a niche um, before, but is is on the, on the, you know, growth at the minute because of, of social media and things like that. I think, people training on different bits of kit and things like that. I think we're probably, we've probably passed the time that that would have happened. I think with the sort of late, yeah, early 2000s, 2010s, people were all about the functional, quote unquote, functional fitness. And I think that probably would have come along then. Um, but I think definitely, you know, the kind of work that I'm doing, highlighting the, the training methods of the past and things like that can only benefit moving forward. And I think people are just up for, experimenting a little bit more and uh yeah training in a slightly different way um i know the old time lifts are still competed there's a there's an american federation called the usa wa who still compete with the um you know they do pullover and press they do floor pressing they do bent pressing and all that kind of stuff but it's unfortunately dwindling a little bit um i think um so i think we're going to still progress to the strength sports as we know it within the boundaries that they're set in at the minute um but i think yeah there'll always be these fringes on the side which will probably grow alongside of the other sports now that's funny you said arm wrestling in there so does arm wrestling count as a strength sport <laughs> it's your strength versus the strength of another person's does a strength yeah. sport, sport have to have an implement or can it just be your raw strength doing something ah good question good question um I think it probably does, but then it probably also falls into the combat um, sport category as well. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting point about the the implement in that you're moving sort of an external object with force. Um, but yeah, th throw them all in there. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, a, a person counts as an external object. I think anything that's yeah, not you true. is technically an external object. So that kind of makes sense. I, I don't know if you've seen it. They have this thing now. It seems to be set up the same way as arm wrestling, but you slap one another. Have you seen this? Yeah, there's viral videos on, on Facebook. Just seems like the most ridiculous thing. But I guess, you know, with all the frustration that people must be feeling at the minute, I guess it's uh, probably a nice one to get into. Yeah, I, you know what? Maybe that's how arguments should be settled, you know, going forward. It's like, just roll up to a table and just like, no words, like just let it out. And whoever's standing is standing and then you shake hands and then you go on. You know, yeah, maybe that's definitely. the way it needs to be. There's there's probably something that needs to come back. You know, we need handshakes back in the world and we need, you know, uh, people to settle their differences maybe the way they used to. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, got a couple more questions for you and, and these might be getting a little bit tougher. Going to get maybe okay. a little more philosophical here. What does strength, what, what, what would strength sports mean to you? Okay, in, in what way? Just in like the, in, 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 I would say just your life, like, like, what do they mean to you? Like what they of course bring you a lot of joy, but there's gotta be some deeper reason that this is such a, a huge passion of yours. 
Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple of things. So, like I said before, when I chose to study strength conditioning and things like that, it was from that just curiosity as how we can do things as humans to improve our performance, either it be, you know, run faster or lift more or things like that. I was always fascinated by the, you know, the the thought of, you know, a sprinter, for example, you, they do their strength training, their plyometrics, all this kind of stuff. And then the output is that they can run faster. That just absolutely fascinates me. And I think that's why strength sports has really sort of hit a nerve um, for me. Um, I also think as well, it's something I want to talk a little bit more about on the page is the kind of the mental health aspect of, of training. I think a lot of um, strength athletes, they're a, they're a slightly different breed in, in a lot of ways. And a lot of them have got some kind of a, a chip on their shoulder, some kind of thing that they're either battling with or they they took part in strength sports in the first place to kind of as an outlet whether it be anxiety depression stress um stress relief all this kind of stuff and i think that's a really interesting aspect and certainly for myself i use um strength sports as an as an outlet um for for stress anxiety whatever um is going on in my life and i think other people do that too so i think it's it's so so important that we have that and people have this outlet um and i think a lot of times strength sport athletes are quite introverted in themselves so it gives them a community of like-minded people to to turn to um to talk about training to do these cool things to to get together and compete um so yeah i think there's there's a few different things that on a philosophical way that strength sports are so important for yeah so i i agree with all of those i feel exactly the same way you know i mean it it, it can help empower someone you know and it's part of the the way that i look at it is you know if you're not an athlete, you may not be a ball athlete, you know, and be able to do ball sports, but you can take a kid who is maybe not the most athletic, but they're strong and now they're an athlete. And what that can do for that person, just picking up the barbell, doing a deadlift or a bench press or anything else is enormous, you know? Um, and I think, you know, I think both of us are maybe kind of that kid, you know, so we can both kind of, kind of relate to that a little bit. So it's, um, I know, it's done a lot for me. You know, I wouldn't be able to do this. I wouldn't be able to do this podcast and talk to you right now without strength sports. It would just yeah. not be possible. I completely agree. Every aspect of my life has been influenced through training in, in some aspects. You know, I met my wonderful fiance through through training. It set me up with a career. It's given me hobbies. It's all my friends are from the gym. It's yeah, it's everything. So yeah, actually, when you, you ask that question, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's everything really. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I there's probably a lot of people right now shaking their heads. It's, it's everything. It's such an important thing. And I think it's, it's good that it's back and hopefully the powers that be don't take it away again. Like, like what has happened, because yeah. like you said, meant that mental health aspect is such a huge part of it. You know, myself working at a big gym, we had a lot of people who were struggling on the mental side of it because yeah. their way of coping with whatever it is that they're dealing with in life was picking up a barbell or, you know, running around our parking lot and then doing a bunch of burpees and just exerting some energy and that it's, it's something that is integral to overall health and wellness and just yeah. being a better person. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. People tend to think, oh, you know, if you, there's something wrong, if you need the barbell to, to sort of quote unquote, treat yourself and, and be good to yourself. But then people do that with Netflix, with food, with, um, you know, shouting at their spouse or whatever. It's just another, it's just another thing. And I don't think it should be looked down upon. I think it should be promoted, as you said, to, um, to keep everybody healthy. I think it's so important. 
yeah i mean be better to 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 work on your personal demons with a barbell than with a cigarette or a bottle you know yeah absolutely. or anything else you know yeah. or taking out aggression on someone else you know or who knows what it might be yeah agreed and i'm i'm pretty sure with working with clients and people we've both seen many things that it's like okay this is what we need you know uh, yeah. coming to the gym and, and getting a personal trainer or, or a coach you know you're there for a good workout and fitness but there's so many layers underneath it yeah definitely even doing the work that i do now in, in employment as much as i can encourage someone i do say you know if you thought about exercising let's try and get you a gym membership um just because i know the benefits that that will bring their their whole life so yeah so so important yeah now in in this work that you've done it could be from you know training clients it could be from history of strength sports but what has so far been the the biggest personal lesson that you've learned that we could share with the listener you know that it does and not like a like a fact like but something yeah. where it's like like you heard a story about this guy and you're like, wow, that is something that I can apply to my own life. And I have, and that's a huge lesson and takeaway on how to overcome something or just learn something or just be a better person. Yeah. I think um, the biggest takeaway would just be to, to try things and not be afraid to, to be a kook and be a novice and, and throw yourself in. Um, I think people can be intimidated to, you know, get into a weight room and, and lift heavy. They can be intimidated to go and compete. Um, they could be intimidated to, like I have, start the page talking about a passion. But I'd say just jump into it head first. You'll only get positives from it and you'll only learn from it and meet great people through it and have good conversations. And I think just not being afraid of, of the judgment from other people and just doing what you feel is it's going to make you you happy because if you're not happy then you can't make others happy and i think yeah that's my philosophical take on that just try things and only good things will happen yeah i mean you got you got to at least give it a shot i mean in with, with your work on this page and and your website and finding all these facts have you ever had doubts about you know ah maybe i shouldn't do this no one's gonna like it you know people are gonna say things or Am I wasting my time? Have you had those doubts and how have you overcome those obstacles? Yeah, of course. I think even being here with you today, this is the first podcast I've, I've ever done. Um, and it's kind of given people a little bit of my personal life as well, which can be a little bit daunting um, in some respect. But yeah, certainly at the beginning when, you know, you so, I sometimes went through weeks of doing posts and posts and posts and there was nothing really happening. People weren't really interacting. I thought, oh, you know, am I, am I wasting time? should I be doing something else? But at the end of the day, it's something that, that I enjoy. It makes me happy. So regardless of whether people are still keen on it and, and enjoy it and, and things, I think I would still, still do it. Um, just for myself. Um, I've, I've completely lost my train of thought there, but yeah. Doing it for yeah. yourself and doing it. Yeah. Doing it for yourself. And um, yeah, no, it's gone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, I mean, no, I mean, uh, what you said make, makes perfect sense. If it makes you happy, then that's that's a win right away. And if you make one other person happy or someone learns something, then it's probably all worth it. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, then, that's, that's, yeah. You should put it out there too. Hey, if anyone's on, you know, who wants to be a millionaire or something like that, and a quiz question comes up on the development of barbells and they win the million dollars, they should kick back 10% to the history of strength sports because that's there where they 
you know <laughs> minimum minimum yeah, yeah. And what i was going to say as well before i lost my train of thought there's you know it's it's bigger than me as well what i'm trying to do is trying to preserve the the history of strength sports for the future generations because i know i'll be doing this for a long time and the sports are still in their in their infancy really if you think about long term so it'd be great in three four hundred years time that people can look back on the on the work i've done and, and sort of see this as the early days uh, you know this is the history of the early days and hopefully somebody can take it on after i've gone and just keep that going i just think it's it's important i was having a chat with um a friend of mine as to like why it's why strength history is even important and i just think it's too important not to talk about people have risked their lives doing these feats of strength there's more and more people coming into the sport um than ever before that i just think need to know about this stuff um and it just gives us a, a why as to why we do these you know why am i going to the gym later to do deadlifts why a deadlift why a barbell why in this way why these sets why these and it just it all encapsulates together so i just think it's yeah really really important which is why i'm enjoying doing it yeah i mean history is important and i think these days a lot of people don't take the time to look back at history and that's why you see a lot of people interpreting things going on in the world maybe incorrectly you know because they don't know their history so i think you know i mean then history is such a broad topic and history of strength sports is a part of all the other avenues of history you know world history uh anything you can think of so you're just the guy who's manning the helm on on this part and it needs to be done you know because i'm pretty sure at some point you'll come along the lines of how history has affected civilizations and developing cultures and things like that i mean one thing that comes to mind only because of the movies not because of any reading i've done is like like ancient sparta and the training they used to do and i'm sure they used weights or did feats of strength but like that was very much a big cornerstone of their society and diving deep into how societies managed stress and worried about health and fitness and and just what role it had you know and who got what role in the society because they were strong you know yeah. the king lifting six tons you know that's that's all important stuff and i think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned and it will hopefully just empower empower people and maybe inspire kids to do the same thing themselves. You know, like, I think that's a, that's a really cool thing about strength history is like, like for me, like I know what my maxes are and what I can do. And like, so things is that like, if you say like a, a 90 kilo, you know, bent press, you know, something like, it's like, yeah, that's never going to happen, you know, but kids have that imagination, you know, and if they can get ex- excited about history then it, they don't know that they can't do that, but that that's a good thing because then they try so hard and they do amazing things. So I yeah. think it's just a good thing across the board just to have this available to people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I'm excited to do it. And we've got, got some really big things coming up um, considering this first year is kind of the, the start of History of Strength Sports. So we want to develop it into... Um, you know, one of the leading online um, resources for this kind of stuff, just, you know, not to profit on, on my part, um, just to enjoy and just for, for the resource to be there really. So um, I'm in talks with, with a co-host to do a podcast. We've got that, that coming up. I want to develop the website, keep growing the Instagram page. We're on Facebook. We're on TikTok a little bit, but that's a little bit hard. Um, I don't even know anything about that. <laughs> it's a strange one especially for the for the content that we've got it's hard to to package it in the right way um but yeah just just bigger and better things and just hope to to be able to do this for a, a long time well that, that's awesome i was going to ask you about that I'm, i was going to say you know jacob you definitely need to have a podcast i mean i would listen to it every day 
a podcast doesn't have to be super long. You can have like a five minute episode of, of you going over some lift or feat of strength or an aspect of strength history. And I, I know I would listen to it and I bet there's hundreds of people that, you know, thousands of people that would too, because people are interested in this stuff and people like to know their history with the activity that they're doing, especially too. Yeah, absolutely. It's been touched on in a few different podcasts. Um, there's some that I listen to. Uh, there's one Iron Culture with Omar Isoff and Eric Helms. Um, the Strength Anger podcast I listen to, they they dabble a little bit in history. Um, but there's And there's Iron Roots with Zach Avinash, I think. But there's not one podcast that just focuses on all the strength sports and all the history without sort of talking about current training and, and stuff like that. So we just hoping to do one just focused on, on that history. Um, I'm not going to give away too many details just now, but um, partnered up with somebody to, to help me along with that, who's um, a little bit of a, a name in, in strength sports as well, who's going to co-host it with me. Um, and I can't think of a better person that um, that could help me along with that. I think it's going to be really, really good. Um, but again, just being patient and trying to release it in the right way, um, going about it in the right way. So it might be a little bit of time yet, but uh, it's on its way. Well, I'll be the first one to subscribe. I can't wait to listen to you and Eddie Hall talk about the history <laughs> of strength sports. <laughs> that's my that, that, that says my little guess there. I Probably wish he followed he followed the page a couple of weeks ago, and I fangirled so hard. It was um yeah, it was a it was a cool moment. <laughs> there you go. That that's always awesome. Well, Jacob, it's been amazing talking to you. I've been following your page for pretty much all of 2020 when you created it. Like I found it pretty quickly. I don't I don't even know how I found it, but right away I was like subscribe follow i want to i want to read about this this is super cool and i'm really glad that i finally was able to talk to you and learn about you your background your history and just talk about all these topics with history of strength sports uh so do you have any any last thoughts that you want to give the listener any other feats of strength facts anything you want to throw it out there and then we'll also get your uh, contact information where people can follow you things like that yeah, I think we've covered probably enough <laughs> strength history for today. There's loads of people yeah. to, loads of things people can can digest there. But yeah, just uh, keep following along the pages at History of Strength Sports. We're on uh, the website, uh, historyofstrengthsports.com. Instagram's the main place you'll find it. We're also on Facebook and TikTok. Uh, look out for the, the podcast coming soon. Um, I want to give a, a quick shout out to just everybody who's followed the page and interacted with it. I know I can't get back to a lot of the messages I receive and on the polls and things on the stories, but I just so, so grateful for everyone who's interacted it and with it and uh, had some great conversations and um, just allowing me to continue this, this hobby. And I hope that everybody's finding some value um, with it. So yeah, thank you very much. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Jacob, for coming on. I think you're doing fabulous work and important work. And I'm just, like I said before, excited to see it continue and for you to start these new projects. And like I said, I'll be there day one. And hopefully we'll, of course, talk again soon about many, many more feats of strength and more history. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on first podcast. It was uh, yeah, really enjoyable. And let me know when you get to Australia, we'll, we'll meet up. Definitely. Hey, first podcast. That's right. So in some small way, the Barbell Strikes Back is now part of history of strength sports in the world in a global sense. One day when you have this giant museum and media empire, people are going to be like, well, what was the first one? It was the Barbell Strikes Back. He was on that show. There we go. There we go. Yeah, you'll be right at the entrance. Your picture just on the wall. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much again, uh, everybody. Make sure you follow the History of Strength Sports again on Instagram and make sure you follow the Barbell Strikes Back on there. Follow me, James A. McDermott. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.